0: Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the word of God to dwell in you richly.
1: Two more of those out of broken sweat. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, we're thankful today to have as our guest speaker, someone that's not a stranger to us and has been to us anniversaries before. Um, He's the husband of one wife and he has two beautiful children, uh, Reagan and Robert Chance and his wife Renique uh, in Houston has been a blessing to our church and we are excited to have with us um, pastor and founder of Crossover Bible Fellowship and the author of Operation Transformation. Let's give uh, him a very, very warm welcome. Uh, Pastor Blake Wilson.
0: Amen. Come on, put your hands together one more time for the Lord. what an amazing 13-year journey of God's faithfulness towards his church and his people here in Philadelphia. If you can think about one thing that Jesus has done for you since you've been here, come on and clap one more time. If you can think of two things that Jesus has done for you, come on and wave your hand. Amen. Give him some real thanks and some real praise. Amen. I want to thank God for this amazing and tremendous church and the privilege to be here. Um, last time I was here for your 10th anniversary, uh, during the week service, uh, we had had, I believe, Hurricane Harvey. And uh, this time I come back and we had Tropical Storm Imelda. So every time I come down, it's some kind of storm where the whole city of Houston floods. So I just kind of bring our anointing all the way up to, uh, all the way up to Philadelphia, amen. So I pray y'all don't have any floods up here or anything like that. Um, Praise God for Pastor Eric Mason, a dear friend of mine. Uh, Since 1999, God has allowed us as friends and brothers to uh, talk about, to cry about, and think about ministry. And uh, Eric's always talked to me about the East Coast. And uh, I thank God for what God has done through his faithfulness to all the churches that have been planted in the States and then across the continent in Africa. Praise God for the work and uh, excited about it. Amen. And you ought to praise God for your elders, your elders, amen. Come on, put your hands together for the elders and the leaders of this church. The hard thing about coming to Epiphany Fellowship is uh, the praise team is is so good, and the preachers got to stand for about 40 minutes and talk, and so you got to sit before the last song so that you can have some energy to stand. Amen. For the for the whole time. And so I want to thank God for this opportunity and praise God for this amazing uh, worship team. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bible to James chapter one, James chapter one, verse one through four. And if you have a device, attach your attention to James chapter one, verse one through four. This morning, I want to minister to you out of a series that we are doing at Crossover Bible Fellowship called Be Perfect, as we're traveling through the book of James. And if you'll stand to your feet, I'm going to read, amen. I know y'all normally read, but I'm going to let y'all be off for your anniversary today, amen. I'll, I'll just read it myself, amen. James chapter 1, starts out, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be holy and acceptable in your sight for you are my rock and my redeemer. Oh God, Lord, we come to you right now asking that you would be glorified through the word of God. Asking, God, that you would minister to our hearts, our minds, our souls. Father, God, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. God, we ask that you would transform our hearts. Grant us the ability to teach, to hear, and to apply the word of God to our lives. That you might receive glory from the lives that we live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and thank God. James chapter one, verse one through four. I'd like to tag this text, The Perfect Process. The Perfect Process. Years ago, there was a movie that came out in which Denzel Washington starred as Coach Boone. The movie was known as Remember the Titans. In this movie, Remember the Titans, there was a case where they were trying to integrate two schools, an all-white school segregated and an all-black school were coming together to integrate the schools, and they had asked Coach Boone to become the head coach, taking the place of Coach Yost, uh, who was the white head coach. As Boone became the head coach, he came in and took them through a a training session uh, over a period of time, but there was a famous speech at the very beginning of his time with his players, and his speech was, he said, you will be perfect. We will play football to perfection. He said, our goal is to be perfect. We will be perfect when it comes to tackling. We will be perfect when it comes to blocking. We will be perfect when it comes to running. We will be perfect in every aspect of the game. And Denzel Washington put his team through an amazing, unbelievable training session. He said, you don't need water. Water makes you weak. They were sweating and dying in practice, and Denzel was saying, go further, keep going, don't stop. And when it seemed like they had nothing left to give, he said, go further. His goal was to get out of them perfection. And as the season traveled through, they were undefeated, finding themselves in the state championship game. And while they were in a rough state championship game, a barn burner, while they were there, At the halftime, Denzel Washington came in, Coach Boone, and said, gentlemen, you're doing the best you can. And he said, all we can ask for you to do is the best you can. Thinking that they might lose this game, Julius, his star All-American defensive end, simply said, excuse me, sir. He said, that's not what you asked of us. He said, what you asked of us at the beginning of the year was for us to be perfect. He said, now, I'm not perfect, and nobody in the room is. He said, however, sir, you set a standard, an expectation, and that was for us to be perfect. And he said, and when we leave this field, we want to leave it that way. It is our goal to be perfect. They went out and won the state championship game and maintained a perfect record. And so when a person begins to talk to a person in the church and says that we ought to be perfect, people will always jump to the colloquialism and say, nobody's perfect. As if they've missed the standard of Jesus Christ, our coach, who said you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He said that I'm looking for perfection out of you. But the thing is, he's not looking for flawless and sinlessness. He is looking for maturity. And so let me define what it means to be perfect for you. What does it mean when Jesus Christ said be perfect? What does this mean when the text here says be perfect? It means to reach the end of or to complete a process, to be complete in all parts, full grown, lacking in nothing. It comes through going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal. Now, the title of this message, The Perfect Process, means that in order for a person to be made perfect, they have to go through a process. There's something that they have to be put through. They've got to reach the end of the goal. It starts out one way. You don't know how it's going to end, but it ends up another way where God is perfecting you. He's taking you through a process. A lot of people want to be like Jesus. They just don't want to go through the process of being like Jesus. A lot of people say, I I want to be the best Christian I can be, but at the exact same time, not interested in going through the process where God shapes us and molds us and puts us in the crucible of life and puts fire to our souls and puts us through challenges and trials. And people say, I want to be perfect. But if you want to be perfect, you got to go through the process. Now, I think Philadelphia knows something about the process because y'all have a basketball team that's trying to go through the process. Last year, Kawhi Leonard stopped y'all going through the process, so y'all better press on a little bit further, amen? But let let me say this. Here's what it truly means to be perfect. It's the picture of the Pirate's Telescope. When the pirate pulls the telescope out of his pocket, it's about this big. But then as he begins to extend it to each layer and each section that has been crafted and put together well, it is fully stretched out to where all parts, to where you can finally see at the magnitude that it was designed to see everything clearly as you pull it all the way out. As it pulls out each stage, it seems like it would be getting weaker from where it was all compact. But it's actually being held together by the manufacturer who put it together, designing to stretch it out the entire way, to take it through the full process. And now when it is fully stretched out, it is able to see clearly what the manufacturer is trying to get them to see. But then here is the part that we want to talk about today, trials. Trials. Trials means to be put to the test. An experiment that involves calamity or affliction that is designed as an authentic proving ground in other words if you're going to be perfect God puts the process of trials in your life and what God does is he uses it as an experiment an authentic testing ground to prove your faith it is for the testing of your faith it is designed to reveal where you really are in relationship to the faith Yes, you say that you love Jesus, but let a trial come by your way and you'll find out how much you really love Jesus. And so he says, I want to put you to test. I want to allow you to go through an experiment and watch this. And the experiment involves calamity. It involves affliction. You want perfection? Here's the definition and or the equation of perfection. Your name plus trial equals perfection. That God puts your name, places you in a trial, and says you plus trial equals perfection. It is how you reach the stage that God has designed you to go through. It is as if God places you in an experiment, in a test, it's a, but it's an authentic proving ground. When God tests you, he's never designed to fail you. Now, here's the interesting thing about me growing up is that I was not the star student, although I was intelligent. If they would have had a degree in socialization, I would have been a Rhodes Scholar. (laughs) I went to school. My mom said, Blake never missed school, and he was always dressed and ready on time to go to school. Why? I didn't go to school for education. I went to school for socialization. I went to talk, amen? I went to go hang out with somebody. And so mom asked me, she being an educator with a master's degree, my dad being an educator with a master's degree, my mom said, Blake, what did you get on the test? I said, Mom, the teacher gave me a 68. The teacher gave me a 68. But this same little boy who didn't want to study ends up with a master's degree from Dallas Theological Seminary and ends up teaching at the College of Biblical Studies. And then one day, I was giving a test myself. And one of the students said, Pastor Blake, he said, Professor Blake, he said, you gave me a 72. I said, no, I didn't give you a 72. I gave you what you gave me. See, in other words, I'm trying to show you I prepared you. I got you ready. I went over the syllabus with you. I taught you the information, gave you the practice questions. I did all that, and you gave me back what I gave to you. In other words, I gave you a test. In other words, when you get tested, you are only going to give back to God what God has already prepared you for. It is the process called trials. Now, with that being said, I want to mention someone. 1976, the Olympic Games. The Romanian gymnast Nadia Comaneci scored six perfect tens in the gymnastic games. It had never been done. No one had ever scored even a perfect ten. It is a flawless performance. It is a gymnast who has gone through, and they said there are no errors in the performance. She did it at the highest part. Of her profession it was at the Olympic Games on that stage and when she performed not only one but five consecutive after that perfect tens but I need you to know something that that was the testing ground in other words the Olympic Games was the authentic place of testing ground it was there where she was showing up what had already been taking place in the process See, the process was all the practices. She did not get a perfect 10 in the Olympic Games. She was preparing to get a perfect 10 in all of the hours of practice. And all the times that the coach said, do it over, one more time, no, one more time, when her feet were hurting and her hands were uh, got calluses, and God, the coach puts her and says, one more time. That's where she earned the right. In other words, you are going to find yourself in a test. And on the day that God allows you To go through those various trials and tests, it is the performance that you've already been doing prior to that will show up what you're ready to give God that day on the test. Amen. And so here it is in James chapter 1. I want to start out with this introduction and this author to who he is. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this James? James. Well, this James is not James and John, the sons of thunder. This is not James and John, the one that Jesus called. Uh, from uh, the boat. This is not him. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord's brother. This is his half-brother. This is they, they have the same mother, they just don't have the same father. Uh, but, but here it is, is that this James right here is the Lord's half-brother. And I want you to see that when you look at his name, James, and stop right there, I want you to know that James' previously recorded failures were permanently erased, beginning his perfect process as a surrendered servant of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor Blake, what do you mean? I want to let you know about this James, because James' does not start off in the Bible with all these success stories who's writing this book James starts out with a bunch of previously recorded failures matter of fact you said well Pastor Blake how did he start out in Mark chapter 3 you know when you are Jesus's brothers that's a tough day amen and Mark it, it, it's tough when Jesus is your big brother why because in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus is baptized the heavens open up and in a voice of God comes down and the Holy Spirit descends on him now when James get baptized don't nothing happen amen and in mark chapter one when jesus gets finished uh, uh, uh getting baptized he then goes to synagogue and he's preaching and when he preaches they say, man nobody preaches like this and then he comes down and there's a man with demon possessed and he calls the demon out of him right there in the service then he goes to peter's house to eat some chicken heals his mama and everybody else who comes by his house and this is james brother Then he leaves there, and there's a leper, and he touches the leper, and he doesn't get infected. He cures the leper. And then in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, he heals a lame man. This is James' brother. In Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, there's a man with a withered hand. He says, stretch out your hand, and he heals that hand. This is James' brother. And when you get to verse 20 through 22, James doesn't believe in him. Now, it's bad when your brother's walking on water and doing all those kind of things, and and you just a regular cat. But in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 22 the Bible says that they went to go pick up Jesus and put a straitjacket on him because they thought he had lost his senses. All these people were getting healed by him, but yet James doesn't believe in Jesus. Can you remember and reflect back on days when you weren't convinced of all the miraculous power of Jesus Christ? Can you think back on days when you saw other people lifting their hands, tears coming down their face, and you weren't convinced yet? That's where James was. In John chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, the Bible says his brothers weren't even believing in him. And here it comes that your brother goes all the way to the cross and is nailed. And, and they, they, they put nails in his hands and pierced them in his side. And James, the Lord's brother, still doesn't believe in him while he's crucified on the cross. But there's some good news. The resurrected Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 comes and in verse 7 says he makes an appearance to James. Aren't you glad that after all those times, after all those days of previously recorded failures in your life and mine, just like James, you find yourself that Jesus didn't give up on you when we were saying no to him. He was still saying yes to us. James, who was so close to Jesus yet didn't believe in him. And now watch, I'm not only going to leave you in your no, I'm going to move you to my yes. And what he does is he allows this James with all those failures to have his sins erased and to begin to write this book to encourage other saints. How did he get there? He becomes, watch this, a surrendered servant of Jesus Christ. The text says James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this bondservant, one who now willingly uh, submits their life to one greater than them, willingly turns them life over to serve uh, with all willingness this one. Now notice this, but the text says, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he didn't just say Jesus Christ, he said the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Lord is the word, the kurios. It means the one who has full ownership rights over another therefore he has the final say in your life Jesus had full ownership rights over his brother prior to saving him and also after saving him and the good news is that Jesus Christ did not give up on him but Jesus Christ said here is is because I own you I have the final say over your life when you were saying no to me I was saying yes to you so I'm going to get ready to rewrite your story where you would have been written off now you're writing a letter for me That's good news because I think that you too could begin to write something for Jesus saying, God, I want to thank you for how far you brought me. I can now encourage somebody else in the faith and build them up. This is James, the author. But after James comes the audience. Now notice this. It says to the 12 tribes that are dispersed abroad. The perfect processes uses our personal calamity as a necessary ingredient to propel us to spiritual maturity and might I say responsibility. Notice this is that this audience is the original church at Jerusalem where Peter preaches at Pentecost in Acts 2 and they're the perfect church that's growing and maturing until Acts chapter 8 where Stephen has been stoned in Acts 7 and Paul begins to scatter them. And the Bible says that Paul, a persecution arose against the church. And as this persecution arose against the church, they were scattered. Now, it uses two words. Persecution literally means that Paul was chasing them down like a ravenous dog trying to destroy a prey. So there's one side where it looks like there's calamity in my life. But there's another side where God is raising you up to maturity and responsibility because the bible says and they were scattered the word scattered is an agricultural term where a sower sows seeds and when he sows seeds he plants those seeds with an expectation of a harvest to come from those seeds so now notice this at first they were a church that were just listening to the apostles teaching devoting themselves to prayer to fellowship in the breaking of bread but God used calamity in their experience to disperse them and to spread them out because now watch this they begin to preach the gospel to the rest of the world And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, that notice this, that everybody left Jerusalem except the apostles. Now he said, I need you all to minister in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. There are four places I need you to move Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Now notice this, but the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. In other words, three fourths of the ministry of the Great Commission and gospel was handed out by the members. And watch this, they got comfortable in church. And so God had to allow some calamity and some adversity into their experience to spread them out to do what they were called to do. And so all of a sudden, he says, this is the church that has been dispersed abroad. Y'all have gone through some trials. You've lost some family members. You've lost some jobs. You've lost some friends. You've lost some land. And you've gone through some trials, but God used those trials to perfect you, to make you ministers of the gospel. How did you, how did you get there? And so that's the opening part of this introduction. But check out verse 2. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Notice this. The perfect process begins with God's sovereign selectivity of us to face our trials with a mentality of favorability. Watch this. Watch this. In other words, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. No one wants to volunteer their hand For trials. No one wants to volunteer their hand and put their hand up and say, God, I volunteer for calamity. Nobody wants to raise their hand and say, God, I volunteer for adversity. Now, if you said uh, uh, perfection, you'd raise your hand. But God says the only way you can go through perfection is that I divinely select you for some trials. Now watch this. While you won't volunteer, God will choose you for some trials. Oh, go back to the book of Job. Uh, I guess it's Job. Go back to the book of Job. And in the book of Job, what you'll find out is simply this. Is that Job wasn't saying, God, can you choose me? Satan. Where you been? Been walking around trying to see who I could take out on the earth realm. Have you considered my servant Job? See, you don't want that experiment, do you? You don't want God from heaven to challenge you down here on earth. But it was God saying, hey, let me let you know something. I know that Job is righteous. I know that Job has some stuff. But I want to show you, Satan, and I want to also show Job how prepared Job really is for this trial that he's going to face. Do you realize that God is going to select you for trials? He's going to put your name specially on a trial. And while he puts your name on a trial, notice this. He's doing it to authenticate and to prove your faith. To show you that you are ready for the trial. Nobody wants to raise their hand. God, I'm not interested in this. But God says, have you considered my servant Job? Because when I take you through this process, you've been divinely selected for this trial. Notice my, my, my wife and I have two kids that uh, Eric mentioned earlier. However, we also had four miscarriages prior to that. Seven years of four miscarriages, your wife pregnant, uh, 12 weeks, and you're preaching at a youth revival on a Saturday night, then you've got to come back to your church and teach the teenagers on Sunday morning, and while you're preaching, you realize that your wife goes out, but, 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 but you're preaching, you don't realize why she goes out. You think she's just going to the bathroom, she's 12 weeks pregnant, but she starts having her, uh, she starts miscarriaging while you're preaching. Doesn't say anything to you that night because the next day she knows you're teaching the teenagers at church. And then after you get from finished preaching at church, you get a phone call saying, go home. We believe your wife is miscarried. That's miscarriage number one. Miscarriage number two, you see your wife bleed out. Miscarriage number three and four come within months of one another. And you're wondering, why, God? And and, and people are telling you things like, "Uh, Blake, you're a youth pastor. You have thousands of kids. I ain't trying to hear that. I'm youth pastoring your kid. I want my own kid. I ain't trying to hear all that. And yet, watch this. God blesses us later with two kids. Only for us to be in prayer meeting a few years ago. And there were three women in prayer meeting, and we were talking about miscarriage and giving uh, scriptures about fertility. And God had allowed me to go through a process with Dr. Ron Allen where I learned Psalm 13.9. If you're struggling with fertility, you ought to write that one down. Uh Psalm 13.9, I got to get that scripture. And then there were some other scriptures that I got along the way. And watch this. And so we're in prayer meeting and I'm laying these scriptures out. And three women walk up and say, with tears in their eyes, say, Pastor, in this prayer meeting, would you pray for us? We're all struggling with fertility. Not knowing that I had to go through that trial to be ready for that day to minister because I wouldn't have had any spiritual sensitivity to the subject had I not gone through it. And now watch this. All three of those women have babies now. you got to go through a process that you may not like when God puts your name on it, but he's perfecting you and maturing you through it. Watch this. He says, consider it all joy, brethren. Now, hold up, God. I ain't ever thought no trial was joyful. This word consider here simply means your first thought in your mind when you begin to experience a test, your your, your priority thought that comes up in your mind. You know how you start going through something and you say, why me? No. No, not now. Come on, God. No, no. He says the first thought in your mind when trial and test comes your way ought to be I'm under the favor of God. He says, consider it all joy, meaning that God's favor has fallen upon you because he's divinely selected you and chosen you for this trial to prove to you and others through this trial that you are where you say you are in the faith. Some of us, when it comes down to theology, we can answer questions and get A plus on the test. But when it comes down to practical trial, you might get a C minus on that one. God said, I need you to be ready for the trial to go through. And so he says, I need you to have a mentality, of favorability. Consider it all joy. What is the first thought in your mind when difficulty and calamity comes? He says, if you want to be a perfect, mature, growing, processed Christian, when trial comes your way, say, God, come on, let's get it on. Why? Because as my professor, I know that you have prepared me. I know that you have not left me with all these sermons, all these community groups, to not be ready to prove you gold in this trial. Notice this. So he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now notice this, various trials. In other words, Blake, I need you to know that the miscarriages was just one trial. But I got some more coming your way. Now, I don't know if y'all are real smart Christians up here. I know y'all from the East Coast, so y'all might be a little smarter than us in the South. But y'all, y- y'all I used to have a trick for God. This was my trick. God, I'm never going to read Job because I don't want to go through nothing. I mean, so I, I'm going to read all other 65 books, but I'm going to skip over Job because I ain't trying to go through nothing. Now, if y'all would be honest and admit right now, you're not trying to go through a trial. And you don't think that God has favored you when you're going through a trial. It's because we have the wrong mentality about a trial. God, You can't be 11-0. You can't win the state championship unless somebody's trying to tackle you and beat you and destroy you on the other side. There's someone moving against you in a trial that wants to show you up and show you that you're not who you are. And Satan simply says about Job, you've put a hedge of protection around him. You've blessed him in every way, and that's the only reason why I serve you. And he says, "God, remove all that, just don't kill him. Now watch this, there was an issue that yes, Job was a righteous man, yes, Job was all that. But notice this, in Job 32 verse 1, the Bible says that Job had become righteous in his own eyes. Job had begun to buy his own press. Job thought he was really somebody. And Job had become righteous in his own eyes. And watch this. And God had to show him in chapter 35, boy, you ain't righteous like that. That every single thing you have is a gift of the Lord. Every single thing that you've gotten has come from me. Where were you Job when I laid this all out? And watch this. Through the trial, you come to Job 42. And when you get to Job 42, it says, now I saw God. Because God wanted Job to be able to see God more clearly through the trial and see himself more clearly through the trial. That there, although I was being blessed, I had bought my press. Notice this. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And here's verse 3 and 4. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when you face a trial, the question becomes, what is your perspective? Do you see the glass half empty, or do you see the glass half full? Do you see God showing you, I'm with you through the trial, or do you see God saying, God, I left you in the trial? See, a lot of us believe that when we're going through adversity and calamity, where is God? As if he's lost. God, the professor, is trying to show you and I where we are in the test. In the trial. So, what is your vantage point? Are you considering it joy, the favor of God when I've been selected for a trial? That God is showing the world through what I'm going through his glory in my life? Wow. How he's working on me and working in me? And then, watch this although I've been pressed to the test, I still give him glory. Yeah. It's easy to sing on a good day. But will you really bless the Lord at all times? And will His praises really continually be in your mouth? Will you praise your way out of a storm? Will you praise your way out of the trial? Or will you talk to everybody about your trial and not give God any praise while you're in the trial? Sometimes you got to sing your song in the car. Sometimes you got to sing your song at the house. Sometimes you got to sing your song in the midst of some tears. Sometimes you got to bless the Lord anyhow. Yes. Yes. What is your perspective? He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Notice this. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. The perfect process reveals the authenticity, the productivity, and durability of our faith as we manage our trials purposefully notice he says in verse three knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance what is God trying to do in your life experience while you're going through trial what God is actually trying to do is to build your spiritual muscles up And he's trying to give your spiritual muscles the ability to endure and to not quit. The word endurance means to not quit, to stick to it, to not give up. So in other words, how in the world are you doing with your repetitions? Do do you only have two reps in you? Most of y'all fellas, if I said, let's go to the gym and let's start working out. And I said, let's put 45. Let's just get the bar and start, you know, pressing the bar up. You'd be like, come on, Pastor, you insulted me. Just the bar? Yeah, just 45. Just the bar. I ain't even talking to add 45s. Y'all say, I'm, I, I'm insulted. And you could do the bar like 150 times. Then we put the 45s on it, both sides, you're at 135. And y'all are real heroes who've been in the gym a lot. Y'all are 50 times. Then we put the other 45s on it, put, make it 225. And you start pressing that up, and all of a sudden, guess what? You down to 10 and then we put that 315 you tell me can I get a spotter amen (laughs) watch this when God allows you to go through various trials what he's trying to do is build your (laughs) muscles up your endurance and your power apart. because greater trials are coming than the trials you've already been in there are more coming and do you have the ability to stick to it and not give up as you're going through Y'all, we have a lot of Christians in Houston, Texas. I'm not going to talk about Philadelphia. Did one trial pop off in their life and they left church? Y'all, you can't be to the place in your spiritual journey to where one trial hits you and now God isn't faithful. Are you breathing? I think he's faithful. See, one of the things that we're concerned with is we're concerned with our comfort. We're not really concerned with perfection and process. But the only way to get to where you look like Jesus is for you to go through some process of perfection. So it it defines your authenticity. It's the proving of your faith. But watch this. It produces endurance. Some of y'all say, I didn't want endurance. (laughs) I didn't ask for it. (laughs) It proves the durability of your faith. As we manage these trials perfectly, watch this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, that God is trying to get something out of your trial, your ability to stick to it and to not give up, that regardless of what may come your way, regardless of what may hit you in life. And let me ask you a question. Have any of y'all been through some stuff? Y'all might be too young of a church to have been through some stuff, amen. But but if any of y'all, some trials hit your way to where you wondered if I'm going to make it out of this one, if I'm going to get out of this one. And God said, no, I got another one coming. When you encounter various trials, are your muscles built up enough to handle the continual weight of trials that come your way? In Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11, Jesus Christ 40 days and 40 nights fasted that's his first trial slash temptation that he experiences it's lightweight compared to the cross his brothers not believing him is lightweight compared to the cross his own creation and own people the jews that he came for rejecting him is lightweight compared to the cross When you begin to think about the rejection of the creator from his created that's lightweight compared to the cross but then there's a day where they hang him high and stretch him wide lightweight compared to the cross that's when Jesus Christ is really tested watch this turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 through 3 because many of you all say look I read the text past. It's only four verses. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I didn't want joy and or watch this. Endurance. I had joy when I was doing well. He said, no, I want you to have joy when you're doing bad. I I don't want you to just experience joy when things are going well. I want you to have joy when things are going bad. So let's see if we really want to be like Jesus. Watch this, Hebrews 12, verse one through three. In Hebrews 12, verse one through three, he says this, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the race with endurance. Watch this, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, watch this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now watch this. If you don't want James 1 two through four, you don't want Hebrews 12, one through three. Because the Bible says, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross did not seem joyful, but to him it did. Why? Because he knew that if I go through the cross, they'll be sitting in church this morning on a Sunday morning, September 22nd, 2019. Uh, the, the, The joy set before him from Isaiah 53, if I offer myself up as a guilt offering, I'll have all this reward of those who know me and are saved and will be with me forever and eternity. That is the joy set before him? So he endured the cross. Now, can I read something to you? Listen to this. One day, we took the children to see a goldsmith refine gold after the ancient manner of the east. He was sitting beside his little charcoal fire. He shall sit as a refiner, the goldsmith or silversmith. Never leaves his crucible once it is on fire. In the red glow lay a common curved roof tile. Another tile covered it like a lid. This was the crucible. In it was the medicine made of salt, tamarind fruit, and burnt brick dust. And embedded in it was the gold. The medicine does its appointed work on the gold. Then the fire eats it away. And the goldsmith lifts the gold out with a pair of tongs. He lets it cool. Watch this. And then he rubs it with his fingers. And if not satisfied, he puts it back again in fresh medicine. This time, he blows the fire hotter than it was before. And each time he puts the gold into the crucible, the heat of the fire is increased. It could not bear it so hot at first but it can now bear it now what would have destroyed it now helps it how do you know when the gold is purified this young teenage girl asked he said when i can see my face in it in other words, when you're going through trial, God says, as you go through trial, how do I know that you're ready? How do I know that you're perfect? How do I know that you've been processed? That when I see your, my face in the trial, when I can look down and see your face looking like my face, and you've been transformed, where you look like Jesus Christ, that's when I know that you're ready to, to complete a trial. That's when I know that you've been processed and made perfect in faith. Why? Because I handled my trial like Jesus did. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. Notice this. As you're going through what you're going through, you got to manage that thing purposefully. Because God is trying to really make you look like Jesus through all that you've gone through. When you start looking over the years of how God has worked in this church, every trial individually and every trial collectively as a body, God was only refining you so that you could look perfect and complete like Jesus Christ, that you would be lacking in nothing, that you can now clearly see the hell we went through was only trying to make heaven inside of us. Anybody in a trial right now? Anybody going through some stuff? Amen, brother. Praise God. Anybody going through some stuff right now? Here's the deal. God is saying, I've divinely selected you For this trial, because I'm going to mature you, I'm going to grow you, I'm going to bless you. And on the other end of this thing, when you come out of it, you're going to look just like Jesus Christ. I'm going to shape your character, shape your attitudes to where people see Christ in you. With all that you've been through, they can still see Christ get to glory. Don't ever jump out of the process. Because what God is going to do is keep his hand on you and put you right back in that fire. And he's going to burn away every impure aspect of our characters and our desires that don't look like him. And as he cools us off, see, sometimes you're in it and he just brings you out for a little relief. Puts some medicine back on you and places you back in to get some more impurities out of you. So you can handle the more weight that's coming your way. See, you couldn't handle 315 pounds of God's pressure in your life a couple years ago, but now you can. You'll be ready to go to 405 and 495. You'll be ready in a minute. But the only way you can become perfect is that you go through the process of trial. That what God does in your life and mine is he puts us through something to perfect us. If you want to be perfect in your faith, perfect in your maturity, God is going to put you through tremendous trials. As he puts you through tremendous trials, know one thing. The teacher has never designed to fail you. He's prepared you, and he's given you everything you need. A trial is never designed to fail you. It is designed as your authentic testing and proving ground of your faith. Where are you really in the faith? You'll never know just singing. Can I tell you something? You'll never know just praying. You'll never know just reading. All that prepares you for the trial. You'll only know by enduring. You'll only know when you're ready to give up. He says there's more. How do you know that there's more, Pastor Blake? Because when Jesus Christ was walking up Calvary's mountain, holding that cross on his back, and after all those beatings, fell and dropped the cross... A man put the, tr- put the cross back on him, and he kept on walking, and he didn't stop. He didn't stop until he said, it's finished. He did not stop until he said, it's finished. And when you are able to go through your trial, and you can see your character look like Christ, then you can say, Father, this one's finished. Bring on the next one. Let me give you glory. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, God. We pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, that this congregation of believers, Father God, may recognize and realize that it is through the trials of life that you are perfecting us. It is the process, God, by which you build us and make us into who it is that you have designed us to be, to be glory reflectors of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, that we are representatives of him, image bearers, God, and that that image can only be refined in the fire. And so, God, for all that we've gone through, it was purposeful. For all that we're going through, it's purposeful, Father. And so, Lord, we pray that right now today that this congregation of believers would recognize that they are designed to be perfect. that They might lack nothing. Father God, perfect and complete. Made for your glory. Made for your glory, Lord. Father, keep each one and when they don't feel like they have any more left whisper in their ear endure for the joy set before you it's in Jesus name we pray amen and thank God
1: hello this is Dr. Eric Mason founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship thank you for tuning in today hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you also if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond